Let's turn our uh, focus to the Word of God. I uh, encourage you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We'll start reading in verse 15. Our focus is upon, upon Christ and His Word, His message for the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Do not love the world nor anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for just the privilege of opening your word. There are many congregations that have a hard time even getting a hold of a copy of this word. But here we have multiple copies, multiple translations. And it's our privilege to stand before this people and opening it, read it and expound on it. Lord, may we not take that for granted. May we apply what we hear to our own lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Vance Havner, he was a... Uh, a pastor uh, from the previous generation, a wonderful pastor. He was on the radio for many, many years. He said this, and this is kind of a shocking statement. He said, if you are what you have always been, you are not a Christian. Now, that's shocking. It should shock you. If you are what you've always been, then you're not a Christian. He goes on to explain that a Christian is a new creature, a new creation. When God gets a hold of a life, He transforms that life. It's a transformation that occurs. It's a supernatural experience, a supernatural event. Now, you say, well, the outside doesn't change, and you'd be right. It's not, it's not so much on the outside. He doesn't put a cross on our forehead. He doesn't uh, give us a t-shirt to wear. He, he doesn't uh, do anything uh, outwardly. We, we still look like ordinary people. To the world, we, we just blend in and we look like ordinary people. The dramatic shift, dramatic change is upon the inside, in the, in the heart. Now, it may start small, maybe dr- dramatic at first even, but it may start small, and, but it will grow, but it will be there. This dramatic change, there is a dramatic change that takes place. New creation, new creature. Now, that may sound extreme, especially in our our world. It may sound pretty radical. You say, it it can't be that radical, but it is. That's just the terminology, really, that we see in Scripture. Christ even said that, uh, that He compared it to being born again. A whole new life there. Being born again. Let's look, let me show you a a few passages in Scripture, because I want you to see this from the Scripture standpoint. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a verse you probably know well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, uh, Paul says, uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. The old new things have come. That's pretty dramatic. New creation, new creature. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For you were, 
You are His workmanship. That's God. He is at work in your life. uh, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Past tense. He has already done that. He has created you in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works which God prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. He created you for that purpose. A new creation. That's, again, the terminology that we see in Scripture. One more page to the right, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Put on the new self, which is in the likeness. And so now we're, we're getting a little bit clearer what this new creation is looking like. In the likeness of God who created, uh, who uh, has been created in righteousness. So He creates us, and it's in the image of God, and in the likeness of, of righteousness. That's, that's godliness, and He says, and holiness of the truth. Holiness, separateness, uh, separating us apart from the world. And what does that is the truth. He's at work in our life with the truth, washing us and cleansing us and making us more and more distinct from the world. That's a, that's a pretty dramatic shift. Colossians chapter 3. We see this image again. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10. And have put on the new self who is being renewed in the true knowledge, so, or to the true knowledge according to the image of Him who created Him. We're created and we're, we're going, we're being created in the image of Him who created us. That's God Himself. He's the Creator. He's the one at, at work in our life. It's a past, uh, uh, a past event in the Christian life. It's something that has already been done, but it's a constant event in the Christian's life as well. And the model is God-likeness. Christ Himself is, is the model. Now, you cannot be a Christian and these things not be true of your life. You cannot be a Christian and these things not be uh, true of your life. God will work and here's the way He's doing it. And it's through a new creation. You say, well, that's pretty dramatic. That's pretty drastic. Nobody can, nobody can reach that level of holiness. And, and you would be right. Because what we find in Scripture, even in the Old Testament, is that He gives us a new capacity takes out that old stony heart, puts in a heart of flesh, a heart that loves Him. A supernatural work. At that time of salvation, the sin nature is removed. Dramatic, drastic sin nature is removed. And it's replaced by a new nature. A a new operating system. Operating under this new affection, new motivation New likes and and dislikes. Now, there's still going to be a residual effect of sin. And that can be a little hard to understand. So I've I've tried to think of some ways to do it. Paul called it a body of sin. But there's a residual effect of sin. And I've used the paint can. You pour the paint out of the can. But there's still, you you can't get all the paint because you can still see red paint on the can. It's just, it's just there. Now, I use that. It's not a great analogy, 
But it is an analogy. It helps us to kind of see. But my wife hates that analogy. So I'm trying to come up with a different one. So here's, try this. It's kind of the lingering odor, if you will. Sometimes, every once in a while, somebody will change a diaper here in the church and and we not know it. It'll be in the trash can. We not know it. And it starts to smell after a while, right? Dirty diaper. You can double bag that thing, take that down, down and put it in the dumpster, but the smell still lingers, right? It's already gone. It's been taken care of, but the smell is still there. Now, that's not a good analogy either, is it? Not the best analogy. But you get the point. We, we can compare it to, you, 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 would, you wouldn't buy a, a car that has been in the flood, right? They, they just recommend not to do that. Now, you can try, you can buy this car, and you can clean it out and make it look good, even, even run. But there's usually something that's going to be wrong with that because you can't get all that mud, that water, out of, out of that. And that's the residual effect of sin. It's still somewhat in the body. The old nature has been poured out. We have a new nature, a new driving force. But we still have to deal with this sinful body. The effects of sin in this body. Because the flesh, the body, remembers. It remembers. It's, it's contaminated, this flesh is. It remembers the old habits of thinking. It remembers the, the old attitudes that we used to have. And it's easy to fall back. It's easy to be comfortable in that. So we have to renew our mind. We have to renew our mind. And that, folks, even with these things, it's still a dramatic shift. That's a whole new creation. That's a whole new person there. Believers are new creatures. In fact, fact, Paul says that they are strangers and aliens. There are aliens on this earth. and, And we're them. We're new creatures. We're supernatural Creatures from God. God has recreated us. Now, having said that then, you would think it would be, it would be easy to tell the Christian from the non-Christian, the Christian from the, or the believer from, from the world. Um, but in today's vernacular, it's, it's kind of hard to tell. It's kind of hard to tell. You have to know what to look for. We have a Christianity today that uh, Satan has done a, a good job at, at confusing things. We have a Christianity that kind of minimizes the Christians, uh, di- the, the difference between the church and the world. Minimizes that. You have people that profess to be Christians, but they, they don't really have to live according to Scripture. They just kind of clean up a little bit the outside uh, so that everybody can live to that kind of same standard, so nobody else feels bad. Kind of get rid of all the hard stuff of Christianity. You don't have to live by, by the Word. They even have a, even have a, a different discernment grid. T- today's grid is very shallow, it's very, uh, doesn't go very deep, but it's just basically, the discernment grid is just uh, uh, tradition versus uh, contemporary or uh, legalism versus grace. That's about it. But the reality is, is the Bible has a lot to say about wisdom and how to please, how to please God. Wisdom literature is essentially excluded today, but that's God has put it in Scripture. We are to live by wisdom. The heart in this new Christian light 
is is unchanged. That should scare us. The heart is essentially unchanged. You can put on a facade of Christianity and look good on the outside and the heart be unchanged. Now, in Scripture, it's just the opposite. In Scripture, what we see is the heart change comes first. And then we have the, the dramatic effects of that. But that heart change comes first. And that's what we see in the book of 1 John. The Apostle John here, he is giving us this sharp contrast between the uh, the Christian and the world. The believer in this world's system. And the reason that he's doing us this is so that we can evaluate our lives and compare our lives so that we can be assured. Evaluate our lives so that we can see. Yeah, here's what the... Here's what the change is. We evaluate our life and we can see that change and that our hearts then can be assured. Our hearts can be have confidence and know that we are believers. And then he goes on to say that that brings joy to our hearts so, so that our joy may be full, he said. But we have to be honest. There's an evaluation of the heart. and We have to be honest with that evaluation. And only you can know your heart. And it comes down to one word, and basically that is faith. Genuine, saving faith. Faith that is a gift from God that's given to man that produces a dramatic shift in the person's life. And there's evidence then of God's work. That's how God works. And that biblical faith is not then a one-time act that we do a long time ago or maybe when we were little. But it's a, a constant element of the Christian life. Now, what should we look for then? We evaluate our own heart. We evaluate our life. What do we look for? What do we examine in our heart? And we've been looking at these 11 points of evaluation, of self-examination, with the, the Bible in one hand and a mirror in the other hand. And comparing the two, we're looking honestly at our own heart and comparing these things. Number one, we saw that we will see what we're looking for is a love for God. That's one of the things that will change a love for God. That we don't hate God anymore. We're not rebelling against God anymore. But we're living according to his principles. Not as a sensory of duty. Not out of a sense of duty. But out of love. We love God. We love the things of God. We love God's word and God's people and God's work. His church. And then we also look, as we evaluate, uh, we evaluate our hearts uh, to the evidence of the ministry of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. Can we see the Holy Spirit working in our life? The Holy Spirit then comes and he dwells in our heart. Romans chapter 8 verse 9. Every believer has the indwelling Holy Spirit. And he, he produces an illumination. He helps us to understand. We'll look at this more closely in a minute minute and he changes that flesh and now we live by the spirit and not the flesh and he produces then fruits of the spirit and again it's a dramatic shift from moving from the uh, flesh being driven by the flesh and being compelled by the holy spirit and we see that in galatians chapter five number three we also look for answers answers to prayer in our own life we saw this last week it's not that God says yes to every one of our prayers. It's that he does hear us and he even answers those. And we're okay with the answer. 
We're okay with a no answer from God. We move forward in grace knowing He hears us. So we look for answered prayers in our life. Now we come to number four. We come, we'll try to get two more in today. Number four, we look for a love for Christ and a longing for His return. A love for Christ and a longing for His return. Now, this is a new perspective for the believer. This is what sets us apart. A new perspective. Our eyes are fixed upon Christ and His return. Look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God? Look how great He loves us to adopt us into His family. And we're children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. There's the distinction right there. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared yet what we will be, but we know when He appears... We will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Now, here's the key. Everyone who has this hope fixed on Him, that's Christ. That's our focus. Christ purifies Himself even as He is pure. We keep our focus on Christ, and He continues to work in us, and there's a purification that goes on. Now, this is what separates us from the world, this distinction. Now, there's two key elements. Number one is is love. It's a love for the family, love for, for God, and affection now for Christ that, uh, that translates into a, a, a duty, a love for family, and a longing to see Him return. We have this hope fixed on Him. And that's what you see in Scripture. Of course, in uh, John chapter 14, Christ said, I'll go and prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back and receive you into Myself. The angel said in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, he says he's going to come back just like he said he would. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. This is a a wonderful passage. This kind of makes it succinct. Philippians chapter 3, in verse 20 and 21, Paul said, For our citizenship is in heaven. That's really where we belong, in heaven. Not, Not here. We're foreigners here. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's the believer right there. There's within our heart a love for God, and we eagerly wait for His return. Now, why? Who will transform the body of this humble state, this sinful body, he's saying, into a and to conformity to this body of His glory. We're going to have a glorified body like Christ's body. And we long for that. We look forward to that coming. Every believer, every believer is going to have that longing for Christ to come back. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 kind of puts it in perspective for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 22 Paul says this, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is accursed. He is to be put out of the church. He is not a believer. If you don't have that love for the Lord, the Holy Spirit has not worked in your life, then you're to be put out. Now, the key verse here is the last little word, and this word is Maranatha. You say, well, what, what is that? Maranatha. 
Maranatha was the, a church that was a, a word that was used in the early church. And it, it means this, Lord, come. In fact, it says, oh, Lord, come. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of, of Lord, come now. Come quickly. And that's the idea. This love for Christ that translates into a, a longing to see him come back. And the early church understood that. And they, that would be kind of a password. Maranatha. Maranatha. Like, like we would say, good day. They would say, Maranatha. Lord, come. And they would probably respond, Maranatha. Lord, come. Lord, come quickly. Lord, come now. Lord, come today. That's a wonderful, wonderful thought. The Lord Jesus Christ. We, we love Him. We have a longing to see Him return. And those longings, that, that longing, that affection for Him indicates, folks, genuine saving faith. That longing for Him, it shows, that indicates there's a heart that's been renewed and, and a love for Christ. And we long to see Him, long to see Him return. Now, this changes the perspective for the believer. Uh, we, we begin to think differently. We begin to detach ourselves from the world. We begin to li- live in light of eternity. And this is the way Jesus said it. Jesus said this. He said, uh, where your treasure is, there's where your heart's going to be also. So he's going to pull these two ideas together. Where your treasure is, today we have a lot of, not, not we, but a lot of people have a, a lot of money, a lot of treasure in the stock market. And I tell you, if you've been looking at the stock market, where's it going? It's going down. And, and you're checking that thing every day. Why? Because that's where your treasure is. And you're checking that thing. You see it continue to go down the past week, the past month, and maybe even the past year. It just continues to go down. And we look at that thing. That becomes our focus because that's where our treasure is. Folks, for the believer, his treasure is where? In heaven. It's with Christ. We have a heart for Christ. And the more we learn about Christ and his grace and his sacrifice and his uh, uh, suffering and His love for us, our love for Him continues to grow. It just grows. And our affection is on Him who is in heaven. And we long to be with Him. We long for His return. So we long to see Christ return. And we long to be out of these sinful bodies. We long to be out of this sinful world. We long for heaven to be in our old in our country, where we're, we're going to feel a lot more comfortable. We long for a Heavenly Father. Now, let's just apply this quickly. Because I, I believe, folks, we get way too comfortable. As Christians, we just get way too comfortable here. We kind of want a, a heaven here on earth. We get, we get comfortable. Now, I love my home. I think it's a comfortable home. I, I like my seat where I sit. I like my bed. I like my blankets. I like the warmth. I like my refrigerator. We get comfortable. But folks, for believers, we cannot be comfortable here on this earth. We cannot get comfortable here on this earth. They say, well, this is where we live temporarily. Yes, it's temporary. Our our focus is eternal focus. This is not our home. So what does that mean? That means that life is more than just a job. Life is more than just a job here. 
You know, that job pays for being able to minister for the Lord, being able to work for the Lord. Life is more than entertainment. Life is more than just about my happiness. If it's just about my happiness, I've gotten way too comfortable here. And I think I'm going to produce some kind of heaven on earth that's going to be just as good as in, in heaven. Foolish. Foolish. Um, we don't want to fit in here. We don't want to be like the world. We are distinct from the world. He made us distinct from the world. And he wants us to be distinct from the world. We have a different attitude than the world. We have a different focus than the world. We have different reactions to things than the world. And so we have to ask, do we look up or do we just, are we just getting comfortable down here? Do we have an eternal perspective? That's something that you have to evaluate your own heart. How long do you go without looking up? How long do you go without, without uh, longing for Christ to return? Number five, number five. We look for spiritual discernment in our heart. We look for spiritual discernment. Now, this is part of that connection. When we have a connection with God, there's a, uh, it, it's like a, a head connected to the body or like branches connected to a vine or the branch, uh, uh, vines connected to a, a branch. There's that connection for nourishment, for control. And we have, we have that. And that's going to produce then uh, this this next element, this uh, spiritual discernment. If you go with me, turn back over to First John, First John chapter two. We kind of looked at these two verses here in Sunday school. First John chapter two, verse twenty. John says this, but you have an anointing. That's what separates us from the world: is this anointing. Anointing from who? From what? From the Holy One. That's the Holy Spirit. And you all know. All of you have this. And there's a a knowledge that comes with this anointing. Skip down to verse 27. He says this. As for you, this anointing which you received from Him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. His anointing is, is teaching. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us. Now, he's not saying we don't need human teachers. What he is saying, though, that this Holy Spirit affirms things in our own heart and mind. He affirms things. Because we're dealing with things we can't see. We can't put the Holy Spirit under a microscope. We can't put faith under a microscope. But the Holy Spirit comes along, He comes into our life, and He shores us up. He affirms things in our life so that we can know. There's a knowledge, there's a learning, there's a a comprehension there, a faith that, that even passes all understanding. Surpasses all understanding. These are things that we can't tangibly see, but we can affirm in our heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what this anointing can do. Now, remember, Christ said that he would, and if you want to turn over there, John chapter 14, wonderful passage just to be reminded of. John chapter 14 and verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter. It's another of the same kind as me. And he will, he may be with you forever, forever, verse 17. That is the spirit of truth 
Now that's the that's the realm at which this Holy Spirit deals with is is truth, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. You see the distinction between us and the world? The world cannot receive it because it did not know him. It doesn't have a connection, no relationship there with God. Or no, but you know him because he abides with you and in you. And then skip down to verse 26. But the Holy Spirit or the the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will give me, he in uh, sin in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Now, think about Jesus is talking to his disciples, right? Have you ever gone out of a class, maybe in high school, maybe in college, and you come out of that class and you say, man, that thing was over my head. I didn't learn a thing, didn't grasp any of it, didn't get it. I'm sure that's the way the 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 fair, the, I'm sorry, the apostles were feeling. The disciples of Jesus Christ were probably feeling that way. And Jesus said, don't worry, guys. The Holy Spirit, he's going to teach you. He's going to bring to remembrance all that I've said, all that I've taught you. So that you can have a, a solid theology. Now, just think about that. Isn't that a wonderful comfort? They can have a solid theology. Because they've been with Jesus three years. Are they going to remember everything? No. No. But this Holy Spirit, this Father's going to sin. He's going to teach you. He's going to bring things to remembrance. Folks, that is priceless. Now, how does this thing work? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, uh, reminds us again of, uh, of these things. This is how Paul fleshed this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. He says this, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man, the man still in his sinful flesh, driven by the the flesh, cannot accept or does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Doesn't accept them. For they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. There are certain things the Holy Spirit just has to illuminate us. We have to be informed how sinful we are. We have to be informed how holy God is and that gulf that is between us. And the Holy Spirit does that. And he goes on, but he who is spiritual praises all things. The last verse, for who has known the mind of the Lord except the Holy Spirit, that he would instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. That's a wonderful thought, folks. That's a wonderful thought. We have the mind of of Christ. The Holy Spirit illumines our heart. He enlightens us so that we recognize the truth. We hear the the message of the gospel and we respond to that. If we go back to our first John passage, verse four or chapter four, verse five and six, John says it like this. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world and the world listens to them. The world has their own click. But we are from God who he who knows God listens to us. So we have this connection here. Christ taught the disciples. This is John, the the older John here speaking, he said. And those who are connected to God, those who know God listens to us. So so this discipleship has been going on for for 2000 years. Christ discipled these 12 men. 
these 12 men go out and they just make disciples. And that's been going on. And so we have this. And he says, they listen to us. And he who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's so clear. So clear. And you say, how does this thing work? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So let me try to use this as an illustration. When the, the, uh, a, um, a shepherd would come in out of the field uh, from, uh, they would be in the field, they would want to come into town every once in a while, and there would be other shepherds there, and they would bring their sheep. And there would be this common sheepfold. And sometimes it could get pretty large, you know, maybe 100, 200 sheep. In the morning, they would wake up and they'd go out and say, how in the world are we going to separate these sheep, my sheep, from your sheep? And, and all it would take is the voice of the shepherd. The voice of the shepherd would call out and his sheep, th- their ears would perk up. They would, they would turn their faces toward that shepherd and he would lead them out of that sheepfold. All the other sheep, they'd just keep grazing. They wouldn't even pay any attention. But the right sheep, would hear the voice of that shepherd. That's what's going on at salvation, folks. The Holy Spirit works in our life. The Holy Spirit works in our life. We have that connection with God because of the Holy Spirit. We hear the voice of God through the gospel message. We hear the voice of of Christ. Our ears perk up and, and there's a certain understanding. Hey, I understand that. That makes sense to me. And then we go out and we follow. That's the teaching of the Holy Spirit. He causes us to respond. He causes us to to hear and understand and listen. And then we we move out. We follow. At the time of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. Our blind eyes are are, uh, opened. The, The flesh, the mind of the flesh is replaced with the mind of the Spirit, the mind of Christ. And that regenerate man, that regenerated person inside now begins to appraise things from a spiritual perspective. Something was there. Something is there now that wasn't there before. And and he can appraise things that he didn't even understand before. And he can do that because of the Holy Spirit residing in him. And folks, if you're a believer, that's you. You, you may not be able to understand it. You may not be able to explain it. But you know, all of a sudden, I understand. That makes sense, this gospel thing. And I just repented of my sin. And, and I recognized my sinfulness. I repented of that sin. And I turned to Christ in faith. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in, in a believer's life. Now, we have to be careful. We can't make Scripture promise something that it doesn't promise. This Holy Spirit doesn't... Uh, doesn't function apart from the word, the message of God, the gospel. He doesn't uh, function apart from God's word. Number two, he, he doesn't, um, it doesn't guarantee that every Christian then is going to agree. It doesn't uh, mean that everyone is, or we're going to know everything about God that is knowable or everything that, that we can uh, know about God because there's certain things about God we can't know. We cannot just register those things in our limited capacity mind right now. It doesn't mean that that we don't need human teachers. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. We need need godly men to come and teach us. It's no substitute for Bible study. 
We can't just get up and say, oh, the Holy Spirit will give me the word and not study the Bible. Well, that's foolish. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing. It'd be nice if the Holy Spirit would just take out this chip and put in another chip and, and everything would just be right there. We'd be able to call to remembrance all the, the great doctrines that we need to know. But that's not the way it works. But it is an ongoing recognition of the truth. It's an increasing understanding of doctrine and putting these things into practice. And the Holy Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit, this spirit of truth. And it begins to click. It begins to sink. Now, I have a watch, smart watch. I have a smartphone. I have a, a, a computer, a, a laptop. And on my Google Calendar, everything sinks. It's amazing. If I put, if I put it into my phone, this uh, appointment that I have, it will connect with all of those other devices, right? And, and, there, and there's understanding. There's, it, it clicks. It pulls it all together. The same for the believer. The Holy Spirit works in his life and, and things just begin to make sense. He, he, he looks, this believer looks at, at the world, the world's system. He sees his own heart and says, yeah, I used to be like that. He looks at other Christians' heart. Yeah, I, I've changed. Uh, he has the same heart as I do. We look at the Word of God. We compare our, our, ourselves with the Word of God. And there's a, a sense of understanding there. The Holy Spirit informs us, enlightens us, illumines us. And we get it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, folks. And we take that for granted a little bit. But that's something that the world does not have. We examine our heart. In church history, there's uh, people that would attack. The, uh, the truth was always under attack. And there would be godly men to, to rise up and, and gather together. And there would be a, a church council that would be called. All these godly men would say, yeah, we need to meet over this particular issue. And they would hash out that issue. Maybe it's Christology. Maybe it's soteriology. The, the doctrine of salvation. Or, or the doctrine of Christ. Or the doctrine of sin. Or, or whatever. But they would hash these things over. And they would come together. And you'd think, how could, how could anybody agree over these things? And it was because the work of the Holy Spirit in each of those lives. Seeking for the truth. They come together. And then. They present that truth to the, to the congregation. They present that church, that uh, truth to the, the whole church. And the church says, yeah, that makes sense. That's what I read in my, my scripture. It just makes sense. And, and because of that, the, this truth then becomes more and more refined, more and more understandable throughout the uh, 2,000 years of church history. These godly men and women then recognize the truth because of the Holy Spirit residing in them. It's a wonderful principle. Do you have that kind of discernment? You look at your own heart. Do you, do you see that? Well, that's a dramatic shift for the believer of understanding. Now, I want to apply this just quickly. I want to apply this, and you can see this on the, on the screen. Because we're called to... To, to certain things, even though we have the Holy Spirit living within us. How does the Bible apply these things? Well, in 1 John, you're in 1 John chapter 4. Now, John says you have the anointing. Holy Spirit's going to teach you. But he also says this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit. So there's two things there, two commands. Don't believe it. So, so red flags should come up. 
You should test the Spirit. Compare it to what, what did the disciples say? What did they write out in God's Word? We test it compared to there. He says by this, um, but test the spirits to see if, whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You compare it. What did the, scribe, what did the disciples say? What did the apostles say? You compare it to God's Word. That was one fundamental truth. Yes, we hold to that. And, we'll, and so then you have objective truth. And we can stand on that. Again, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 13. Um, I'm just going to read the middle part of this. He says, young men... He said, I write these young men because you have overcome the evil one. Well, how did they overcome the evil one? In the middle of chapter 14, he gives us the answers. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. How did you overcome the evil one? Because you've gotten stronger and stronger and stronger in the word. You keep keep learning. The Holy Spirit keeps illumining. Illuminating this word, you begin to understand. It begins to click in your mind. And, and the world doesn't trip you up anymore. The, the evil one, Satan, he comes with his lies. And they don't, they don't mess you up. They don't, they don't bother you. you. You can overcome them by, by the word. That's the idea. Another one. Second Peter, if you just turn one or two pages to the left. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, he says, but according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 15. And regard the, the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, that's the Holy Spirit working in his life. He said he wrote to you. Some things are hard to understand, but here's what he wrote. Which the untaught, he says, and the unstable distort. Some were taking Paul's message and they were distorting it. And they're characterized by untaught. They didn't know. So they're twisting God's word. We have to be careful about that. And they were unstable. And so they distort it. It goes on to say, verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, you be on guard. So that you not carried away by every by error of unprincipled men. Men that are still in the flesh, driven by the flesh, not, not uh, stopping in the flesh and living by principles of the Word of God. They are unprincipled men. And he goes on to say, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do. We have the Holy Spirit. He's teaching us. He's working in our life. Let me give you another one. Second Thessalonians chapter five, second Thessalonians chapter five and verse. uh, Verse 21. Paul says. um, Verse 21 is a very simple verse, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to what is good. Now, let me apply this very simple. Examine everything. You've got a new perspective now on life. Take that perspective that includes God and and interpret your world by it. Examine everything. Spiritually appraise everything. That's what we're to do. And he says, hold on to what is good. Hold on to what is good. Now, we have a world, folks, that's, that's wanting to change everything. They're wanting to 
redefine, call good evil, call truth error, call sin righteousness, redefine everything. But listen, a true believer, folks, a true believer will hold even more tenaciously to this word. Because it is this word that defines for us what Christian ethics are, what true Christian ethics are, what godly Christian character is, and what right Christian direction is. That's the glory of God. And it's this same word, folks, that will cause us to be distinct from the world. It's this word. It's this word. We are not what we've always been. Not what we've always been. We are new creatures. The Lord has changed us and He continues to change us. When we look at our own life, when we look at our own life, we have to ask ourselves, do I have discernment? Am I being tripped up by the world? Do I have discernment? Is that Holy Spirit working in my life? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we just thank You for the Holy Spirit working in our life to to help us to understand these lofty things. And then, Lord, we just thank You for the dramatic shift in our thinking, in our affections. We have a love for You now. In our understanding, we have discernment. Lord, we thank You for that. May we not take those things for granted. And then, Lord, may we continue to have a detachment from this world and a longing to see Christ return. I thank You for those that are here today. If there's anyone here that does not know You, they look at the Scripture, they look at what I've said, and they say, those things are not true about my life. I pray that they would cry out to You for repentance. Cry out to you, recognizing their own sinfulness and turning to you in faith and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in their life. Lord, I, I thank you for the guidance of your word. What a precious thing. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.